A very good day to you. I'm Howard Feldman and welcome to another Synthesis podcast. I'm very excited to have this conversation because today we are all going to be speaking about messy change. Well, is there another kind? What what does change really entail? And how do we maximize some of the difficulties, some of the challenges that we go through, especially if we consider what we have been through over the last 18 months and where the world still has yet is yet to go. Joining me on this podcast is Dan McClure. He is a specialist in disruption and he's a specialist in messy disruption. Dan, good day to you. How are you doing? Doing really well. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you. So you've been involved with change, change management, disruption for many years. I know that we always say, gosh, this is unprecedented. We haven't lived through things like this before. Do you share that view? Yes, I do, but perhaps in a different way than most people mean it. So I think, you know, the idea of this is an unprecedented time often focuses on specific events. So like the pandemic or, you know, in the States are really tumultuous election. Um, But the reality is what's unprecedented about today is the number of different things that are all coming together to enable change. And You know, I think when you put things in a pandemic lens, you tend to focus on the negative aspects of change. You know, change is being done to me, and boy, that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the things that are happening in the world today, we've got just a massive global education going on. The level of education across the world for today's generations and for recent generations drastically exceeds what was what was done before. We have the ability to globally create, so bring together lots and lots of different ideas from across the world. We have new technologies that will make the technology advances that we've had in the last few years feel like they're almost insignificant. And so, yes, we live in unprecedented times, but it's not simply because a virus did something to us. It's because we've actually created a world where creativity can be done at a scale that has never been done before. And that's going to drive change. Well, I guess the best example of that is you and I having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was talking to somebody at the restaurant this morning when I was having breakfast. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to be on a podcast with somebody in South Africa. And it was like there was nothing exceptional about that. But here we are. Yeah. So it really has brought people across the world closer to each other, uh, which is just really a tremendous thing. Is is that what you would see as one of the larger gains of the last 18 months or so? Well, I think there is certainly an opportunity here to leverage these new technologies and leverage the new habits that basically aren't place-based. But it's not so much that we've been brought closer together, but that we've sort of broken the 20th century bonds, that the only way we can work together is by being in the same office or the same conference room. Today, I routinely work with folks from across the world. My business partner is in New Zealand. And, you know, this idea that creativity can be drawn from anybody anywhere 
is, I think, really exciting. And when you throw that on top of then all the new tools, you know, this combination of bigger toolkit, more people to play is really, you know, the sort of thing that allows us, it's going to be able to make the next 10 years really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Along with change, though, comes a is, comes uncertainty, that's by definition. Along with that uncertainty, what we are seeing is a tremendous amount of anxiety because as people are, are nervous about what this new world order is going to look like, what it means for me, what it means for me and my family, my children, what what kind of, of environment are they going to be living in? What are they going to be doing in their future? How do we look look at the future and the disruption in a positive way to say, relax, even if you don't know exactly what it is that your children are going to be doing as part of their career, it doesn't make it something negative. It might be extremely positive. How do we change that mindset? I think a big part of people having fear is the belief that the challenges ahead of them are things that they can't address, that you've got a problem that's going to overwhelm you or overcome you. So my child is going to go out in the world and there's going to be nothing there for them. My parents are going to be in a position where they won't be able to survive in this future world. And I think one of the things that's exciting about the idea that we can start doing innovation at a system level that we can make change at a bigger and more ambitious level is that we can take on these bigger problems. So I think you would have to be a fool not to realize that climate change is a really big, gnarly problem. But it's not our only gnarly problem. We've also got the problem of an unprecedented urban migration. So a restructuring of society as people move from rural environments into city environments. We have the potential disruption, well, not the potential, the coming disruption of massive technology redefining um, the way we do work. All of those things are really big challenges But we're also getting new ways of thinking about how we do innovation, how do we do change that make it possible to rise to the challenge. And I think that's the secret is instead of simply saying, I'm standing here and there's nothing I can do, say, what are the new practices? What are the new ways of approaching innovation that are going to allow me to rise to these challenges? And what are some of the new ways that we could what, what are some of the new trends that we could look at? So I think, you know, a, a big part of this is simply realizing that another mobile app is not going to save the world. We're not going to be in a position where if you've got a pandemic, we can create a mobile app that's going to fix everything. Of course, there's going to be new technology things that are going to make a difference. But the real trend here is that we're moving to a position where we can start thinking about changing entire systems. So the system of, for example, building a road through a, through a jungle, that is a very complex mini part process. And in the past, we would have just gotten our bulldozers out and bulldozed that road right through the jungle, and we wouldn't have worried about you know, what the impact on the ecology were, was, what the economic impact or, or anything else. We're seeing now the 
focus on system level innovation, where we look at all these different pieces and bring them together. And that allows us to respond more um, aptly to things like building a road through a jungle, but also to say, I'm in the insurance industry and that's being transformed. What do I need to do to actually carve out a new spot for myself? And it's not get the new mobile app out there, it's the change the system of insurance and really offer some new value. So it's this refocusing on more complex things. How would you define system level innovation? So system level innovation is really about bringing together people, technologies, and things you're doing in new and original ways. So much of innovation in the past has been really focused around very specific tasks with very limited numbers of people involved in a particular activity. So we have well-defined, you know, process for paying a bill or well-defined process for doing some activity X using a piece of technology. System innovation basically says all of these pieces of technology are useful, but they need to be combined with people, organizations, institutions. And as a result, this is where you get the messiness. It's not as neat and tidy as just building a technology system. On the other hand, it's also much, much more powerful because you have the ability to draw on individual people talents. You have the ability to build an ecosystem of organizations. And so the power for creating big complex things becomes much more, much greater once you start bringing together all these different parts. It's fascinating what you're saying because to some extent, there's a lot here that's quite counterintuitive. In other words, when we feel out of control because we can't control the pandemic, we want to control as much as we possibly can around us. But actually, if we gave in to a little bit more of a process towards innovation and change and live with that messiness that you referred to, and I love the way in which you describe it, actually we'll be a lot happier because we won't resist the irresistible really um, along the way. You know, there's a phrase that um, we use called running into burning buildings. Right. It would seem like that's not a particularly wise activity to do. Right. On the other hand, when you see that there's turmoil and change and existing systems are broken, you have a real opportunity to say, all right, I'm freed from the past. I have an opportunity to reimagine things in a different way. And as a result, running into that burning building actually creates new creative opportunities for you. Mm. And I think, you know, for everyone who imagines that the past is a safe place, that's probably going to be the greatest delusion of the next 10 years. The past will not grant you safety. Only by really pushing into this complex future are you going to be able to carve a spot for yourself. And, and, and to some extent, the past has never really, has it? You know, I, an illusion. I think that's been true to an extent in the past. You know, everybody, I think, has been in a situation where they assumed these things were anchors. Um, mm. You know, I grew up in, and still live in Detroit, Michigan, where the automotive companies were king for much of the 20th century. 
And they created a model that basically said, we will take care of you for your entire life. We will provide you a pension and health care. And the bankruptcy of these major U.S. auto companies was really driven by the fact that they couldn't fulfill that promise because they weren't around for their for that for that mm. length of time. And I think that's true of almost any institution and not only formal institutions, but any practice or any approach to make to creating value. So yeah, letting go of these things, not depending on them to be there for you as your sole um, resource, that really opens up the possibility for you to grab the next thing that really will have value. So what would you say the top priorities are in enabling ourselves to move positively towards innovation? So I think there are three or four things that you can really do that will allow you to sort of grasp these system innovation opportunities. The first is dream bigger actually start with an aspiration that is big enough and bold enough to embrace these many different pieces. If all you ever aspire to do is create another mobile app, you will never actually create a system level innovation. Right. So that's the first step. The second step is understand the big complex problem. And that big complex problem may not be neatly bounded by where you already work or a piece of technology. You're going to have to look at all how a lot of different pieces, a lot of different things work together. And then third, and there's only four of these, so you don't have to worry that this is going on forever. I'm the, the, yeah, I think they're great. <laughs> the third is instead of looking at all the current problems and then saying, oh, there's something I can fix. Oh, there's something I can fix. That's kind of like the game of whack-a-mole where things pop up and you try to hit them with a hammer. And that will maybe deal with some immediate issues, but it won't necessarily get you to a place where all these pieces fit together in a new and effective way. So instead of playing whack-a-mole, imagine what the future looks like in a complete working system. So we've understood what the present looks like. We now see what the future looks like. The final step is being willing to take the long winding journey to evolve this present view of the world and get to that future view of the world. And it's a much different set of practices than most innovators are taught right now, but it is in reality, just another methodology for innovation that can really be used to, you know, deal with these bigger, more complex, messy problems. And I guess the definition of messy also probably includes the acceptance that some things that you try might fail. Yeah. And, you know, there's the famous phrase, fail fast, that came out of the lean startup model. Mm -hmm. And I've always hated that phrase. Ooh. Because fail fast implies that you're going to try something and throw it out, try something and throw it out. Ah, and right, like you keep right. going until mm. you finally stumble on something that works. I think a much more effective phrase is fail fast, learn quickly. Right. And so you want to go in there and give yourself an opportunity to try things. But the goal is not simply to throw out the things that don't work, but actually use that knowledge to learn and evolve what you're doing. 
And this is what system innovators get really good at. They can't throw out, for example, the entire power sector when they're trying to improve climate change. They have to figure out, all right, I've made this adjustment. Now I see how that's playing out. I'm going to pivot and adjust as I go because I know where I want to get to. And I've just got to keep making these adjustments. And in many ways, that's really reassuring because it basically says you're never done until you decide that you've, you're tired of the journey. Absolutely. And, and you don't need to do it all at once. You don't need to achieve it all in one go. And you can't. You really can't. Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing about perhaps about the pandemic is that it has created a very fertile ground for this because we, whether people wanted to change or not, whether they were reactionary or whether they resisted change or not, change has come. And, and to a large extent, there is this acceptance that things need to be and can be very different afterwards. Yeah, and that change really comes in with sort of two different drivers. One is that it tends to break the status quo. Mm. You know, the things that you would have relied on in the past that you wouldn't have given up willingly suddenly are broken and you have no choice but to move on. You know, conference rooms are a broken technology now. We will never go back to conference rooms the way we did. The other part, though, is that it opens the door to new opportunities and new solutions. One of my favorite statistics is in the first six months of the pandemic, the use of telehealth, you know, mobile medicine mm -hmm. increased by 16,000%. You know, whenever you think of like business growth, you're not generally thinking of tens of thousands of percent in six months. But this is the kind of thing that once you get a disruption, you know, the, the shackles are off on change and so much can happen. Love that. The shackles are off on change. I think that is going to be the title of this of this podcast. Uh, Dan and McClure, we don't unfortunately have very much more time. But what is the thing that excites you most about, uh, about systems innovation, architecture and strategy? You know, I grew up wishing that I had lived in the time of Thomas Edison, a time where there was big, exciting inventions and the world was being redefined. I think the thing that excites me about this moment in history is that we have the capabilities of doing amazing new things and that we have actually a real need to do amazing new things. Mm. And this practice of system innovation is really the thing that connects those two, is you've got amazing toolkit, amazing challenges and opportunities, and the system innovators, the people who can work at this kind of complexity and ambiguity and scale, they're going to get to play in this space. And, you know, I don't know, I feel like, ha, Thomas Edison, we got you trumped. This is this is going to be a much more exciting time to be alive. I couldn't agree with you more. Dan McClure is system innovation expert or a messy change expert, maybe. Thanks for joining us this afternoon on the Synthesis Podcast. I'm Howard Feldman. Don't forget to subscribe below and uh, have a great day. Thanks very much. <laughs>